Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. In this annual series called Live Love, we are reminded of why we exist. Vintage Church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For us to continue what Jesus started, for us to genuinely live and love like Him, some things have to happen in us. Jesus prayed for those things in John chapter 17. Through this series, Pastor Matt Smith helps us analyze this prayer, which reveals how to live and love like Jesus and demonstrates his desire to unleash heaven on earth through his followers. Well, good evening, Monday night peeps. How's everybody doing? You good? Let me hear you out there. Hey, thank you for being here on Monday nights. We, believe, we understand that for a lot of people, weekends just don't work. Or maybe there's something going on that just keeps you from being here on Sunday. And I'm grateful for all the volunteers that make Monday nights happen. Could you give just some love to the volunteers that are making tonight happen? You know, before you were ever born, you existed in the imagination of the God who created you. Like before you were ever even in your mom's womb, according to what Jeremiah 1.5 says, that, that he created you and he formed you, like he knew you, like, like you were, you are a, you exist because you started out uh, in the heart and mind of the God of the universe. And you were born into this world on purpose and for purpose. And there came a point in your life, just like in mine, when you made a decision and you did something contrary to what God wanted for your life, and it severed that relationship with him. But the good news is, he has made provision for that. Like he made a way, even before you were born, to come back to him. That even though you would make mistakes, and even though he knew you would make mistakes, he still came to this earth in the form of a man named Jesus. Who a couple thousand years ago, was brought into this world and walked on this planet for around 33 years. And he died on a cross to take care of the punishment that you deserve for those mistakes so that you could be forgiven and free. That deserves an amen from somebody who's experienced the love and grace of God in a real and powerful way. But while Jesus was here, even though his main purpose for living on this planet was to be that sacrifice necessary to buy us back, in the meantime, he started a movement that radically turned our world on its head. Like in those 33 years, like he, he, he wrecked religion. He confused people about what it meant to know and live in communion with God. He came to this planet and he looked at people and said, this God that you feel so distant, not only is he not distant, he's so close you can call him Abba. You can call him Father. And in that just few short decades, Jesus ushered in a powerful movement that would change the world. And Jesus' desire was that the movement that he started would keep moving even after he would leave this planet. That the message that he brought and the way that he lived and the kind of relationship that God wanted to have with us, he wanted that to keep being told. He wanted to make sure that what he ushered in continued so that we could be here thousands of years later and know the truth that he was sharing with the world in that moment. 
And how he chose to keep the movement moving that he started was before he left this planet, he looked at a group of people that would be the first to believe in him and said, hey guys, you've seen what it's like to live the way that God wants you to live. For the last three years, you've watched me. You've got to see me up close and personal. And everything that you've seen me do, everything that you've seen in me, the way you've seen me live, the way that you've seen me love, that's how you're supposed to live and that's how you're supposed to love. Like what you've seen me do, how you've seen me interact with people, how you've seen me communicate with God the Father, like everything you've seen in me in the last three years, that's how you're supposed to live. And now that I'm going from this planet and I'm going to prepare the place that we're all going to get to spend eternity, in the meantime, you need to go tell other people what you've seen and heard from me. Y'all with me? Say amen. And in that moment, the church is given its mission, the body of Christ. The people who would believe in Jesus. And basically the way, the way we word that is Jesus said now, your job, church, is to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. You've been inspired by what you've seen in me. And now you need to go and you need to take this same thing to other people. And the church got its mission right there. Inspiring people to live and love like Jesus. And the same mission that he gave those handful of people is the same mission we carry to this day. It has not changed. It will never change. That will always be our mission. And let me just remind you that this was the words of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Pick it over verse 18. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, go make disciples. You've seen how I live in love. Now go tell others how to do the same. And the church got its mission. And that's our mission. And it always will be. And we will not waver from it. We exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. That's why the church is in the world. Is to go around and help people understand that there was a man named Jesus who lived on this planet and he died for your sins. But he, he not only showed you the way to the Father, he showed you the way to live. And that's our mission. And last week we talked about, all right, well, if that's our mission, how do we accomplish it? Because it's not just enough to know why we exist. we got to know how we make this happen. Amen? Like, like it's not enough just to say, okay, well, we exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. we got to know how we do it. And last week I gave you something super profound. That the best way to inspire people to live in love like Jesus is to live in love like Jesus. The best way to, live, to inspire people to live in love like Jesus is to live in love like Jesus. That if you and I will live in love like Jesus everywhere we place our foot. If everywhere, every environment, every atmosphere, every place we ever put Allow, God allows us to be. If in that place we will live in love like Jesus, we'll change the world. Amen. See, it doesn't matter what we do. We can do all this stuff in here, and yeah, it's awesome that we have an awesome worship gathering, but what we're doing is not nearly as important as who you and I are becoming. Because if what we're doing isn't impacting who you are becoming, then we're not doing anything. Like, seriously, if tonight you walk out of this building and your life, because of something that you experienced in this space, isn't determined to look more and more like Jesus, then I wasted your time. If you walk out of this building tonight more determined 
to live in love like Jesus, more equipped to live in love like Jesus, then we've done something special. Otherwise, we've just entertained you for a little while. We've given you a space to take a nap while we watch your kids for an hour and 15 minutes, which some of y'all take up from time to time. But we said last week, like, if, if we are going to accomplish his mission, then I have to reflect his model. Like, the best way for us to accomplish his mission is to reflect his model. Like, we have to live and love like Jesus. And when we live and love like Jesus, it will make a difference in this world. Like, in, through his life, he has shown us the way. Remember this, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, I think, like, we've kind of had a narrow perspective of what Jesus was trying to say to us in this verse. Because we focused on that way to the Father thing. He said, yeah, that Jesus is the way to the Father, the only way to the Father. Like, the only way for you to experience the eternity that God desires for you is through Jesus. There's not multiple paths. It's through Jesus. But I don't think Jesus was just trying to say, like, I'm the only way to him. I think he was trying to say, I'm the only way to him, but I'm also the only way until then. Like, I'm the way to him, but I'm also the way until then. Like, I think Jesus was saying, I'm the way in every way. I'm the way in every way. Like, if you want to know the way to be a good husband, if you want to know the way to be a good mother, if you want to be, know the way to be a good neighbor, if you want to know the way, like, if you want to know the way to whatever it is you're looking for, Jesus is saying, like, I, I'm the way. I am the way in every way. I'm not just the way for you to escape hell and experience heaven. Like, I'm the way in every way. Like, mimic me, model me in every way. And I really believe the only way we'll ever inspire people to live in love like Jesus is to consistently follow his way. That if we'll really live in love like Jesus, we will change the world. But here's, here's the issue. To live in love like Jesus, we really have to know how Jesus lived and loved. I told you, like, I'm smart, right? Amen? <laughs> Profound. Like the only way to live and love like Jesus is to really know how Jesus lived and loved. Remember in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you keep my commands. How can you com keep commands you know nothing about? How can you keep commands you know nothing about? See, if we're going to live in love like Jesus, we have to know how Jesus lived and loved. And if you're going to model Jesus, you need to model the real Jesus. And I feel like there's times when we're seeking to emulate a Jesus that we've created that's cultural and comfortable instead of the Jesus of Scripture. See, there's times that we're, we're trying to emulate a Jesus that's not true to who Jesus really is. See, we grew up in the South. And everybody's got an idea of who Jesus is. 
And it's like we've whittled Jesus down and we've diluted Jesus into this figure, this mythical figure almost, that makes us comfortable and not the challenging real Jesus of the Bible. Because when you start reading the Jesus of Scripture, it ain't comfortable. It gets real, real quick. When you start really looking at the Jesus of Scripture. And see, I grew up in the church. Like, I've been in it my whole life. And what I discovered is the Jesus I thought I knew growing up, based on what I'd heard and what I'd seen and what I'd been taught from time to time, when I started really digging in and trying to understand. Because, see, here's the reality. If you want to follow the way of Jesus, the only place to find that way is in the Bible. Or let me put it like this. To know his ways, I must study his word. To know his ways, I must study his word. Like you can, you might say, Matt, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to live in love like Jesus, but is it the right Jesus? Is it the one that maybe that you've created for yourself that makes you a little bit more comfortable? Or maybe is it the one that maybe somewhere along the line somebody told you was Jesus? And you're, you're following Grandma Betty's version of Jesus. And Grandma Betty was a great and godly woman. But you need to know how Jesus lived and you need to study it for yourself. And so many of us have never taken the time to do that. To really dig into the word and understand, all right, who is this Jesus that died for me? Who is this Jesus that lived in such a way that I'm supposed to live? And if you're going to know his ways and if you're going to follow his ways, you've got to study his word. Like you've got to dig into the word of God to really understand what that really means. Because it may mean something other than you think it does. Because what I've discovered is we like this version of Jesus that makes us comfortable. The one with long, flowing blonde hair and blue eyes and a British accent. Who's mild and meek and soft-spoken. And when you dig into Scripture, can I just say, He's so much more than that. And if you really know the Jesus of Scripture, it will not be something that makes you comfortable. It will be something that challenges you and stretches you and pushes you like never before. But the only way for you to know that and discover that is you got to get in the Word of God. You will never consistently follow His way until you consistently study His Word. And so many of us don't do that. Like if the only word you get is when you show up here from time to time, it will never be enough for you to follow his way. It will never be enough. If you're going to daily, consistently, step for step, follow the way that Jesus demonstrated, you have to constantly be in the word of God. So here's the question. How often are you in the word? How often are you taking time out of your life to carve it out, to get into the Word of God and actually read it? And then notice I, I said study the Word of God, not simply read the Word of God. So there's a lot of us that can, oh, it's the verse of the day on my version app. Books check, I'm good. I'll listen to Caleb all the way to work, and Jesus will smile upon me and pat me on my head. Like, no, I'm talking about studying it. I'm talking about going to the book of Matthew and start around chapter 5 and read the Sermon on the Mount 
and read all the things that Jesus addresses and start laying what he says versus how you live. It will get uncomfortable quick. Amen, somebody. Like diving into the word and studying it. Like you will never consistently follow his way if you don't daily study his word. Are you in it every day? And let me tell you, it's not about the amount of time. It's about going into it with an intention from your heart. That really intentionally, prayerfully seeking the word of God for five minutes is more valuable than mindlessly reading it for two hours. It's not about how much of the word you can get through. It's how much of the word that can get in you. And begin to transform your life. So I'm serious. Like, how often are you in the word? And if it's not... If it's not every day, it's not enough. I'd like to say I'm sorry, but I'm not. Like, if it's not every day, it's not enough. And I know what you're thinking. Preacher, you don't know how busy I am. Okay, like, I get it. Like, we're all busy. But it's funny how, like, we always say it's it's a time issue. But we got time to play golf. And watch Netflix and play Fortnite. I said that in every service, and I really don't even know what that is. I just hear people talk about it. (laughs) Or to watch college football or play fantasy football. Like I'm dancing all over somebody's feet in this room tonight. Amen. Like it's funny how we don't have time. Can I just say, can we stop saying that? Because when I look at my own life, can I say, you know what I have time for? What I want to have time for. What I make time for. So I've stopped even saying, like, I, don't, I, have, I, don't, I haven't had time to do that. You know what I start saying is? I haven't made time to do that. Because that's the more accurate truth. Not that I, I don't have time to do that. It's I haven't made time to do it. I haven't intentionally carved out time to get into the Word of God. If you want to consistently follow His way, you have to daily be in His Word. And we try as a church to create many opportunities for you to gauge in his word. Like we create Sunday mornings so you can come and you can hear the word and you can be challenged with it and you can chew on it. We put a devotional on the app every single week that, that follows up with this message. We provide stuff like labs. We have one this Wednesday night here in this campus. We're trying to launch more and more life groups. Because I know this is what people tell me all the time is, Matt, I'd love to read the word, but like I read the word and I just don't understand it. Welcome to the club. And I think God created us to study the word in the context of community. Like we need to come together to study the word of God. There's something powerful when we gather together for the purpose of diving into the word and we get other people's perspectives and they help give clarity to the word of God. Anybody ever had that happen, you know? Like where you're in a group and something that you've been struggling to find and somebody comes in and speaks life into you because God taught them that maybe a year ago or a week ago and they had to wrestle with it and now they get to share that wisdom with you. It's a beautiful thing, Amen. And in January, we're going to launch a ton of new life groups. And we need more and more life groups right now. So if you feel led to lead a life group, we'd love to go on our app, sign up. Because this church went from from 500 people to over 1,200 people in like eight months. And we need more and more people to step up and lead those. Because the reality is, if we're going to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, then we have to live in love like Jesus. And if we're going to live in love like Jesus, then we have to know how Jesus lived in love. And the only place to know that fully is his word. Get in the word of God. 
if you want your life to be changed and to reflect his. And it's kind of like what the, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Like your word is what will show me the way. And what you'll find when you start diving into the life of Jesus is some really, really convicting, powerful, life-altering things. And I don't have time to get into everything that you're going to discover about Jesus when you start reading about who he is. When you dive into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the life of Jesus, and you see what he said, and you hear how he approached life, but there's two observations that, that I'm just going to quickly make. Two things that you're going to immediately discover about Jesus' life. And if you want your life to look like the life of Jesus, these two things will have to be present. You with me? Say amen. Number one is when you stare at the life of Jesus, what you will notice is that he lived in constant obedience to the Father. If you're going to live like Jesus, you're going to have to live in constant obedience to the Father. Like Jesus was all about obeying what God wanted for his life, what God intended for him. It was all about God's plans and God's purpose over his desires. All throughout his life, what you'll notice is it didn't matter how difficult it was, how costly it was, how uncomfortable it was. Jesus was always willing to not waver from the will of the Father. Let me show you. Look at it. Let's just walk through the Gospel of John. Look at John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus has not eaten in hours. His disciples noticed that. And his disciples said, Jesus, like you must be hungry. Like we need to bring you some food. And look how Jesus responds. My food said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Like my food, how I'm sustained, is to do God's will. That for Jesus, obedience wasn't just a way of life, it was life itself. That he found life in being obedient to what God the Father wanted for him. Again, look at John chapter 5. Go over to chapter 5. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Like the goal of my life isn't my own pleasure. The goal of my life is to bring honor and glory to God the Father. He lived in constant obedience to God. Let me just keep showing you. Go, to, go over to chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now for Jesus, it was never about what he wanted. It was about what the Father wanted. And it didn't matter what it was about. It didn't matter who it was around. It was always about obedience to God. Let's read one more. John chapter 10. Look at verse 17. It says, the reason why my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. That even, even in death, it's not because I have to. It's not because anybody's going to make me. It's not because I'm forced. It's because I know that this is God's will for my life. And even though it's going to be awful, even though it's going to be painful, like God's will is always at the forefront of my priority list. Like, you do realize, like, you know that moment in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus knows, like, he's about to be crucified, like, he's about to go to this place. And Jesus kneels and, like, says that Jesus is so in agony that he's actually sweating blood. And he says, God, if there's any way you could take this cup from me. Because, see, Jesus was no stranger to crucifixion. 
Jesus grew up in the crucifixion era. So as he was walking around, he could hear the cries from outside the city walls of the criminals who had been crucified. Like the agony, the painful screams of the people that would endure this most horrible form of capital punishment. So Jesus knew, like, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be the most physically painful thing that any human could ever endure. But you know what he says? Your will, God, not mine. Imagine that. Like, if you want to live like Jesus, you have to live with that same type of bold obedience to God. Think about the excuses that we've made throughout our lives to not do what God wanted us to do. Think about it. Uh, God, I would do that, but, like, uh, I don't have enough money. God, I would do that, but um, I don't have enough time. God, I would do that, but I'm afraid somebody's going to laugh at me. Like, Jesus is like, really, dude? Like, I endured the cross. I was so obedient, I endured the most painful. Like, here, so here's the reality, and we're not going to like this. There is never a justifiable reason to be disobedient to God. There is never a justifiable reason to be disobedient to God. If God has called you to do something, commanded something, put an expectation in your life, there is never a justifiable reason to say no to him. And if you want to live like Jesus, if you really want to live like Jesus, you will live in constant obedience to God. Which means everything that is about your life has to be under his authority. Everything. So that means if there's one area of our lives that is not surrendered in full obedience to God, then we're not living like Jesus. If there's one area, just one, like, well, God has all of me, but... So if there's one thing that you're holding back, if there's one thing that you have not allowed to go under the umbrella of his authority, then, then you're not living like Jesus. Amen? Like, if, if your money's not under his authority, if your relationships are not under his authority, if, if your career's not under his authority, if your kids are not under his authority, like if there's a single thing that you're withholding from full obedience to God, then you're not living like Jesus lived. And if your goal is to live like Jesus lived, then everything has to surrender to him and we have to live in constant obedience to what he wants for us. Told you he wasn't going to like it, but I... But not only did Jesus live in constant obedience, when you stare at the life of Jesus, you notice that he also loved with a consistent compassion. Jesus lived in constant obedience to the Father, but he loved with a consistent compassion for others. That Jesus was consistent with the love and the compassion that he offered all the time to everybody. Like for Jesus, it didn't matter who you were. He loved you the same. He consistently offered compassion to every single person that life put in front of him. It didn't matter who they were, what their background was, what nationality they were, what gender they were. Like he, he was consistently compassionate. Let me just read you a handful of stories. Look again, go back into the Gospel of John. John chapter 4. Pick up verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus encounters this woman. Number one, it's a woman that wasn't a part of his family. Like, Jesus shouldn't even engage this woman. And she was a, a Samaritan. And right there in the scriptures, it says, Samaritans and Jews, they didn't associate with each other. They, th- they, they were rivals. They didn't like each other. They thought each other were scum. And not only that, this woman, she had a bit of a reputation. She had already had five different husbands and was living with another man. And these are the days of our lives. <laughs> so, like, when you add up that whole package... Is the last person that Jesus should have engaged. But what does he do? He says, like, if you really knew who I was, you would ask for what I could give you, and guess what? I'd give it to you. Even knowing what I know. Even knowing that you have five husbands. Even knowing that you're a Samaritan. Even knowing that you're a woman that most people wouldn't associate it with. If you really knew who I am, and you could understand what I could offer you, and if you asked me for it, do you notice what he says? He said, "I, I, I would freely give it. Because Jesus loved with a consistent compassion for everybody. Let me show you another example. Go to John chapter 9. It says, as he, look at verse 1. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Like even in that verse, you see, like when they, in, they, they encounter this blind man, his disciples are like, hey Jesus, who sinned that this guy had this affliction? Because they were convinced that if you had any kind of affliction like that, it was because you had sinned and God was punishing you. So if you were born blind or if you were stricken with leprosy or you had some type of affliction of any kind, it's because you were a bad person and God was punishing you. And if you were a bad enough person for God to punish you with blindness, I don't want anything to do with you. So people with blindness or leprosy or any kind of affliction like that, they would be like ostracized from society. They would be avoided like the plague. People wouldn't even acknowledge their presence. You know what Jesus does? He says, nobody sinned, but this is giving me an opportunity once again to love on somebody. And it says Jesus spit in some mud. And I can just imagine that the blind man had heard the sound of that spit before because probably people had thought so little of him they had spit on him. And now Jesus uses some spit for him in order to cure his blindness and give him healing. You know why? Because it didn't matter if you were a Samaritan woman with five husbands or a blind man that everybody thought was evil. Jesus offered the same loving compassion to everybody. One more. Go to John chapter 13. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And that's where this happens. Verse 2. John chapter 13, verse 2. says, Then the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Check out verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That here Jesus is in the upper room, and at the end of this meal, he gets up and he begins to wash the feet of these ordinary men. But let me tell you what stands out to me about this story. He even washed 
the feet of the two men that would betray him. He even walked up to Judas, knowing that Judas, even though Jesus had poured into him for three years and loved on him and, and, and been there for him, Judas would sell Jesus out just for a handful of coins. And guess what? Even knowing that, Jesus still washes his feet. Jesus even goes to Peter, one of his best friends, who Jesus knew would in just hours betray him three times. And he still washes his feet. You know why? Because Jesus loved with a consistent compassion. And it didn't matter if you were a Samaritan woman with five husbands or a blind man that everybody thought was evil or two friends that would do you wrong. Jesus loved with a consistent compassion for other people. And if we're going to live and love like Jesus, we're going to have to live with a constant obedience, but we're also going to have to love with a consistent compassion, which means we're not going to be selective with who we love, who we're kind to, who we meet needs for. They may look different than you. They may believe different than you. They may have a different color skin than you. They may have less or more money than you. They may have hurt you somewhere along the way. But if you're going to love like Jesus, you love with a consistent compassion no matter what. If we are going to live and love like Jesus, the only way to follow that way is to consistently be in his word. And when you dive into his word, what you will find is living like Jesus means living in constant obedience to the Father and loving with a consistent compassion for others. If we will do that, church, we'll change the world. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Can you wrestle with a few questions for me tonight? Is it your desire to live in love like Jesus? If it is, then you need to make a commitment to daily being his, in his word. You will never follow his way consistently unless you're daily in his word. Are you in the word daily? If not, will you do something tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit and under conviction by him? Would you just make a commitment to be in the word every single day? to make time, to carve out time, to get into the Word. It's not about the amount of time or the number of verses. It's about the intention of your heart to be to dive into the Word of God and let it, His Word jump off the page and the Holy Spirit just dig it deep in your spirit so it transforms the way that you live. Or maybe you're in the Word daily, but you're not letting it transform you the way God wants it to transform you. Are you living like Jesus? Are you living in constant obedience to the Father? Is there a single thing about your life that you haven't surrendered to him? Is there a single place, single area where you're not being fully obedient? If so, you let him give you the strength to lay that down and give it to him. Or maybe you're not loving with a consistent compassion. You're being a little bit more selective than you're supposed to be. And God's calling you to love the way Jesus loved. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but I know that there's something that he wants you to do with what you've heard tonight, some way that he wants you to respond. So as we worship him tonight, allow his spirit to speak to your heart and bring about the change that he desires for you. Father, in this moment, we pray that you would work, that your spirit would move, that you would write your word on our hearts and may we be changed by it. And may every person within the sound of my voice respond to your voice according to your leading in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.